Okay, that's why I had some good. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you again that you brought us here to study your word, um, to get some lessons, to get closer to you, to bond with each other. I pray that you can um, learn something new, something fresh, um, and something that's practical. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. So, where were we at last week? Jerry and Ray. Huh? <laughs> I said Jerry and Ray. That should have been the title of the of the lesson. All right. So Jerry, and, who are Jerry and Ray Rubin? We saw a little bit of how Jeroboam started and how Rehoboam started, and obviously these are the kings that are following Solomon. Um, and uh, Rehoboam was giving his prophecy. Was it Solomon that was giving the prophecy that the kingdom would be split, or Rehoboam? Uh, Solomon um, originally, and then um, he didn't behave himself and come correct so that the kingdom exactly. And, and then uh, Jeroboam was told that he would take the northern kingdom. Yeah, so we just read into how that began and what was we we left it basically with a split Israel, didn't we? Agreed. Right. So uh, Israel was split. Sorry, that like I'm just thinking that it had been the seat of power, hadn't it? We talked about Solomon how he was the wisest king and he was renowned, not just as an Israelite, but through the world, they recognized that Israel had it with him as king. Agreed. Um, and then we see them now fracture into a place that's not as powerful. And I don't think it gets that powerful again. Yeah. So, um, so where we are, so agreed. I don't think it does get as powerful again. In fact, it definitely doesn't get as powerful again. But, um, so where we are is the kingdom is split. We have Judah and Benjamin governing the Southern Kingdom and um, all the other 10 tribes in the Northern Kingdom. And Kings generally takes the, uh, the stories of the Northern Kingdom. So we're gonna start reading about Israel's journey um, and then Chronicles um, kind of discusses the Southern Kingdom. So what's happening with Judah and Benjamin. And so we will, most likely jump between the two as we're kind of going through the storyline as, as best as possible. Um, but here we are, we're going to turn into um, 1 Kings chapter 16. And we're going to go right to the end of chapter 16. And what we see from really from when we stopped with Rehoboam and Jeroboam, um, the northern kingdom, so Israel, there's been maybe a flurry of kings, maybe three or four kings, and all of them have done evil. Literally, if you have titles in your Bible, it will be the evil reign of, of Nadab, the evil reign of this person, the evil reign of that person. So, like, it's, it's not good at this point with the kings of Israel, right? Solomon was the last, like, the, the, at least the start of his reign was the last good part, that good king that Israel has had um, since this. And we're going all the way um, to the end of chapter 16. So, if we could read from verse 29 um, to 34, just to finish the chapter. So that's First Kings chapter 16, starting at 29. 
And in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So just before we miss that, sorry, um, (laughs) Ahab was, it says, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Now we've read about all, like, pretty much all of the kings since um, that have come up to this point, um, and even the several that came just after Jeroboam, Um, and we know, you know, Saul was <laughs> wasn't great. David was pretty good, but we understand what David did. So Solomon had a good start, but then fell off pretty drastically. Jeroboam really wasn't good. Rehoboam wasn't good, and everyone kind of got worse and worse and worse. And now we get the statement: Ahab was the worst of all of them. There's no no one did this evil in the sight of the Lord worse than Ahab at this point. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thirty one. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Esbal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And they have made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. In his days did Hiel the Bethelite build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof in Abiram, his firstborn, and set up the gates thereof in his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. Okay, so... Ahab, we, it's twice it says that he, he is the worst king so far, basically. Why do you guys think that, um, that it, what, do, what do you think Ahab did that was worse than kind of the other kings so far? What made him so bad? He's worshipping a different God. Okay, he's worshipping a different God, true. But idol worship is, is prevalent now throughout the last however many centuries. So just idol worship itself couldn't be what made him that bad, surely. What is it particularly? Anybody? Okay, we're going to find out in a minute. Let me just read this Um from from Adam White in Patriots and Prophets, it says, Taking to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Zidonians, and high priest of Baal, Ahab served Baal and worshipped him, and he reared up an altar of four Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Not only did Ahab introduce Baal worship at the capital city, but under the leadership of Jezebel, he erected heathen altars in many high places, where in the shelter um, of the surrounding groves, the priests and others connected with the seductive form of idolatry exerted their baleful 
influence until well nigh all Israel were following after Baal. Ahab was weak in moral power. His union by marriage with an idolatrous woman of decided character and positive temperament resulted in disastrous, um, resulted disastrously both to himself and to the nation. Unprincipled and with no high standard of right doing, his character was easily molded by the determined spirit of Jezebel. His selfish nature was incapable of appreciating the mercies of God to Israel and his own obligations as guardian and leader of the chosen people. For many years, they had been losing their sense of reverence and godly fear. And now it seemed as if there were none who dared to expose their lies by openly standing forth in opposition to the prevailing blasphemy. The dark shadow of apostasy covering the whole land, images of Balaam and of Ashtoreth were everywhere to be seen idolatrous temples and consecrated groves wherein were worshipped the work of men's hands were multiplied the air of polluted the air was polluted with smoke of the sacrifices offered to false gods hill and vale resounded with the drunken cries of a heathen priest who sacrificed to the sun moon and stars so Let's um, let's continue, and then I'll ask the question again. See if you guys um, pick it up. So, um, chapter seventeen, verse one. Um, can I just ask um, for chapter sixteen, verse thirty-four? It yeah. says this guy he laid the foundation of this city. Um, I think it was rebuilding or building the foundations of Jericho. And yeah. it said he laid the foundation in his firstborn and set up the the gates in his youngest what what is that saying there is that talking about you know sacrifice of the innocence of child sacrifice or is that just um maybe they were named you know i'm pretty sure that people named places after people so is that what it's saying um the verse 34 anyone got any ideas on that i thought it was like the timings of when it actually happened, I don't know. Yeah, it's more of a narrative piece, I believe. Um, I don't think it's necessarily referring to the three verse or five verses that we see before. I think it's just referring to the time in which it was built. I'm not sure it has much relevance. Okay, cool. But I could be wrong. So if someone else has a different interpretation, please. But, um, but yeah. Anything? No? Okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, verse 1, chapter 17. Is it First Kings 18, 1? Uh, 17, 1. Okay. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead says, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be joy nor rain these years, but according to my word. If we could just read up to verse 3. 
And the word of God came unto, came unto him, saying, Get get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. Cool. All right. So, um, so what just happened? It was almost like Elijah was sent a curse from God um, to like almost like curse the land with um, famine, with no rain. And interestingly enough, the same God that's powerful enough to um, to kind of make all the rain start falling from the sky tells Elijah to go and to hide himself um, in this brook that's branched off from Jordan somewhere. Cool. Why? Why does he need to hide himself? Maybe because his people are gonna be like, "Yo, King, what's going on? You need to help us in this situation." But there's nothing that he'd be able to do. Okay, so you're saying that the, he because the people would accuse the king. Yeah, maybe. Okay. What else do you guys think? Why does why does Elijah need to hide himself? Come on guys, you gotta to talk to me here. It's not as hard as it sounds. Where are we again? Sorry, I cut out. Um, this chapter 17, um, first three verses. It says in verse um, three, get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself in the brook of Cherith that is before the Jordan. So Elijah just um, comes up to Ahab, who's been doing all sorts of nonsense. He's brought Baal worship into Israel and he's turned all of Israel away. Um, and he's said to be the most evil king that Israel has had to this point in time. And... Um, God, uh, God sends Elijah and he says, right, there's not going to be any rain or dew on the earth um, for, for years, according to my word. And then God says to Elijah, okay, now go hide yourself. Why, why, is, why does Elijah need to go hide himself? Because Ahab wants to kill him. Because Ahab would want to kill him. Reuben. No, no, no. Um, Naomi put into the chat that um, she wanted to kill him. And obviously I think that she is referring to... Um, to Jezebel, but Jezebel. I even like I think probably that's true. But even still, um, you know, we've not got to that part of the story where like Jezebel literally puts up a poster and says Elijah's head. You know, we've not got to that part necessarily yet. We haven't. So, no. And he's just made a lot of important people angry. So okay, so so Elijah needs to run away because it's likely that either King Ahab or Queen Jezebel is going to kill him, right? That's why God says, right, you need to go and, and hide in this place. So what makes Ahab the most evil king so far?
Didn't we read that it was because he spread idol worship throughout the land? It wasn't just a localized thing. It and is it was- the very very much so, but there's something particular about this um, about the idol worship spreading. There's a, there's a, there's there's a reason why it's gone further than other kings had gone to up to this point. And it's the very reason why um, why Elijah had to run. Or hide himself. Because it doesn't be- Sorry, go ahead. Um, I was going to say, is it because, um, because there's so much idol worship has caused the people, to, <laughs> sorry, to literally like, not know God at all or like yeah completely forgotten about him whereas before there was kind of like knowledge of God but they just chose to worship the other gods but here it's like they don't even know him so this Elijah guy is like okay we're getting close we're getting close Ruben what are you gonna say Didn't it say that Jezebel was like the daughter of the high priest or something like that? Okay. And so you've given somebody that's like anti-everything Elijah stands for, reign of the whole kingdom. So it's like the idol worship is coming from the seat of power. True. But I would argue that the idol worship was coming from the seat of power before. Um, and yes, it to some extent, it's because he married Jezebel. I'll put it this way, right? Um, to this point, idol worship was everywhere, but there was still, it still was acknowledged that God was the true God. It just wasn't um, practiced. So, for example, when we read about Jeroboam last week, yes, he brought all this idol worship and said, right, these calves are your new gods and they're the one who brought you out of Egypt. But when his son was sick, who did he go to? Straight back to God. He went straight back to God. He went straight back to the prophet because he knew where the power was. Yeah. He knew that actually what I set up was nonsense. He knew that. So even though um, there was all idol worship and all sorts of nonsense going on, throughout Israel, it was pretty much like, it, was, it didn't take too far for them to be like, okay, you know what, we messed up. Like, God is actually the true God. But here is where we see a difference. Here is where there is actual persecution for believing in God. Now it's not like... Um, it's not like, right, well, we're setting up an idol, but really you could worship God and no one's going to tell you anything. At this point, it's like worshipping God now is a threat. Now we're bringing Baal in and Ashtoreth and all these things in, and now if you worship God of heaven, God of Israel, there's going to be a problem. Yeah? So much so, Jezebel is like, right, we hear about her hunting prophets. So this is now, it's complete, this is taking a very big turn for the worse. This isn't just, oh, um, you know, I'm bringing in some idols. This is, you cannot worship God anymore. It's forbidden. And so when Elijah comes and gives you, gives Ahab this prophecy and, um, and says the punishment which God is going to put on, on Israel, he now has to go because it's about this time where Jezebel or Ahab would be like, right, grab him, throw him in jail, kill him, whatever the punishment is going to be, yeah? So this is why Ahab's reign and the, this period that we're going to with Israel has is, is gone even worse than it could be before. 
Yeah? Everyone, we're all there? Yeah. Cool. All right, let's continue. Um, verse four. Also, before actually we read, in verse one it says, Elijah said, there shall be no dew and nor rain these years. Yeah? There's one thing for there not be, to be any rain, but no dew. That means the, the ground was dry. Like, there was, <laughs> there was no moisture at all. So I'm not really sure how these people were eating, but <laughs> there, was, there was no moisture on the ground and there was no rain. So this was it, right? Cool. All right. So for, for, and for years. For when you realise that there's no dew on the ground, you should realise that God wasn't playing. But obviously they, they, they carried on with their nonsense. So yeah, first of all. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dropped by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had no rain in the land. Cool. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell. Behold, I have committed a widow woman there, um, mainly. Before we before we reach um before we reach the story, actually, let's go back to a couple of verses. Elijah, we just meet Elijah in verse one of chapter seventeen, right? So it's not like um, we we know Elijah's experience before this, but obviously he's a prophet. God has called him, and we know from like the Bible after this point that Elijah was was a bad boy. In fact, Elijah is in heaven right now, right? So Eli Elijah isn't um, isn't a joke, and he's referenced several times in in the new in the New Testament, especially linked with John the Baptist. So, and we see him um, on the Mount of Transfiguration. So Elijah is um, amazing. And, it's, um, it's, and we want to start to tease out how he started to build his relationship with God as we read through the Bible, right? So we see from verse, what, what, what can we see from verse four to verse seven about Elijah and God at this point? Like what God said, he did without like question or quibble. Very much so. God, whatever God said, he did. Right. What? How? How do you think he he um this was cultivated? Like what? How do you get to the point where you get to say right? <laughs> whatever God said, I'm doing. He must be very close to God. He must have been, right? Can you imagine God sending? God sends you to a brook, right? He says, right, you need to go to this brook. There's no food there. You can drink from the brook, but there's no food. You have to trust every day that God is going to bring a bird to come give you, a, give you food. That's how, that's how you eat. I don't think he had a roof over his head either. 
you know, we talk about this ministry that we've been doing on Friday nights and going to see people, but this idea that the prophet of God was basically homeless living by a river is a one to swallow. Because in, in verse four, it says, and it shall be that I shall drink of the brook and I've commanded the ravens to feed thee that we see that God said it. You know, we, we see God said something and Elijah did it. Yeah. But we were also seeing that God said something and he came through. But it is strange because in a way, part of me thinks surely the same God that, you know, gave him a, a, a whole river next to him and the same God that gave him birds to feed him couldn't have, have brought him a roof. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like there could have been like a, a place to stay there, but apparently that wasn't what was needed or what what you know. I don't know what it is, but that wasn't part of the deal at that time. What's also bad is it doesn't actually say how long Elijah was there, right? But it it implies that Elijah was there a long time. He does have this um, experience with with a widow, which we're going to read in a minute. Um, but after this story, it's like Elijah goes back to meet Ahab. So it's like he was at that brook for quite a long time. Just him and God. Right? And so we can see from this that him and God had, like, when you spent this time with God, when you've started to build that relationship, the things that come next shouldn't be a surprise. And Elijah's most famous miracle, which we're going to get to in a minute, wasn't necessarily his most his great his greatest miracle. He's about to do something, a few things that are pretty miraculous, right? And all that comes from he spent three. Let's say he spent two of the of the three years there was no rain, next to this brook, being fed by birds. And so, how can we expect to have, say, an Elijah experience with God without having to put that time in? If we haven't put that time in, we can't expect them to be right in the last days. You know, when people are because this is basically what what the last days are going to look like when you know. We're not going to have the freedom and Christians are going to be hunted. Like Elijah here has the time to spend with God to build that relationship so that he can go against the powers that be. We can't expect to be like Elijah's in the last days if we haven't put that time in. Cool. Let's let's go to um let's go to verse eight. We kind of read verse eight already, but let's let's start again so we can get the story properly. Up to um, verse 16. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering um, gathering of sticks. He called to her and said, Fetch me, pray thee, the water in the And as she was going to fetch, he called to her and said, 
Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. Verse 12. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go, and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord of God, for the, wait, sorry. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel: The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the crude of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she said, and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she said, and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meat, sorry, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the crude of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Oof. So what just happened? Can I just say, we, we did, uh, we, we just said back in, back next to the brook, that God said, Elijah, go live by a brook, eat from the birds, drink from the water, and I've got you, yeah? And Elijah was like, cool. And he went, and we don't know how long for, and he lived by the water and he drank the water and birds used to come and drop him. I don't know what they were dropping him, but you know, they used to drop him something. And that was that. And we highlighted, someone said, God said, Elijah did. Now I'm looking at this situation and I'm wondering, is it that God said and Elijah did, or is it that Elijah said and God did? Um, when he says the, the cruise of the, Oh, wait, so, so it says, for, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of milk shall not waste, neither shall the crude of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And I guess I'm wondering, was it something that Elijah had already been sent a message that this is how you're going to kind of bribe the woman and to get her to help you, you're going to tell her that I've said this? Or is it that they were in tune to the point where, you know, as, as like one body, Elijah and God are there seeing the need and God is saying, fine, I've got this. You know me, I've already been providing for you and I'll provide for her. I don't know if that made sense, but yeah. So are you, are you asking, um, did, did God tell Elijah to do X, Y, Z when he was there? Or did, um, or did Elijah just say it and God fulfilled it because Elijah had said it? Is that what you're asking? That was what I was asking, but then I read verse 14 and it does say quite clearly that God said the barrel of meal won't waste and the cruise of oil won't fail. Yeah. But it, yeah. it just seems like such a, a practical situation. And I'm not saying that to say God isn't practical, but it seems like such a practical situation that, you know, I, I half wonder in my head that if Elijah didn't just say, long, long, like the gist of what Elijah said was God's got you, basically. You know, he's had me all these years and he's got you too. So it wasn't a case of maybe having to go and have a big pre-conference with God before he got there to say, oh Lord, you know, what if this is a situation where you provide the food and that kind of thing? But it was just like, oh yeah, he's got me. 
And because these two were close already, it was like the one spoke and the other would fulfill anyway. For sure. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I think, like, you know, when you ask, when you ask God, oh God, align my will with yours, I think at that point when that happens, God, the desires in your heart are God's. So the things that are coming out of you, the things that you're desiring, are aligned with God's will anyway. So it, it could have been in this sense that Elijah was speaking and because he's so aligned with God, God's will that the things he's speaking are already the things that um, God wanted anyway. Do you get me? Like, it happens with us as well. I like what you said there, this idea that it wasn't so much a case of Elijah talking than God talking because when Elijah was talking, he was speaking God's will. So it, it's not so much about trying to split up and define it into loads of different characters as much as the, the two are one in the will is aligned. I think when we, when we look at other examples, right, where we see um, Joshua pray and then stand up and look at the, um, look at the sun and say, stand still. Or as um, Maz is probably about to say, when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, now stand up and walk. It wasn't. Um, it's it's said with an authority of faith. And so, although you know, what what I can tell from all of the characters that were able to do things like this is that the time they spent with God outside of the situation was deep. Jesus spent every, every morning he would get up and pray. We know Jesus was connected. Elijah, we saw, had this experience. With, he probably, he obviously was connected with God to be given Ahab this message from before, let alone the experience he would have had um, next to the brook and being fed by birds. So at this point, he can say, yeah, feed me because your thing is never going to, um, never going to run out and say it with confidence because he knows he's had, he's had the experience of God feeding him for the last, let's say, two years. And so the, this is, this, this is the, the faith that these guys have, this confidence that these, these men have had to, to say things like this. So when we're looking at our lives and like, right, how do I pronounce things in my life like that? You need to have... To ha to have had the experience with God to be able to do that. You need to have spent the time with God to be able to do that. And through that time, as we've said, God's will will become your own. And I think that's, a, uh, that's, that's as miraculous as a lot of things. To be able to say, right, my will is God's will, in the sense that whatever God wants, I'm there with him, is, is a major thing. So I don't believe Elijah necessarily... Um, God like prepped Elijah necessarily to say, look, this is going to be the situation with the woman. Just tell her this, tell her that, and this is what's going to happen. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but I don't think it was necessary, given the other scenarios we have um, of people doing, doing similar um, statements. I must say, um, there's something similar to happen last week where when God does say something, he's not going to counteract, he's not going to contradict himself. So in verse nine, you know, he, he says, Arise, get thee to Zerapah, which belongeth to Zidion and draw there. Behold, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Mm. God's really said someone's going to sustain you. 
Like, why would he now get there? And she's like, I've only got this. He's not going to say, oh, he's not going to now. That's a good point. He's not going to be able to sustain. God's already said you'll be sustained here. So he's going yeah. to be faithful as well. Right. Cool. Um, what's awesome about this woman? Because we've talked about it from Elijah's point of view. Like, what's awesome about this woman? Uh, she also obeyed um, Elijah's word because you can just imagine if, say, for instance, you had the last meal for you and your family, and someone saying, "Oh, give me some food first, and don't worry, God will supply for you." It will be very easy for you to say, "Well, I'll eat, I'll eat this first, and then if God is supplying, then I'll give you." But but she um she was willing to trust in um, what Elijah said uh, that God was to provide um, even if she gave this last meal to um, Elijah. Elijah, cool. Thanks, Dave. Sorry. Um, let's go even deeper into this. Right, this woman is what? What is she labelled as? A widow. A widow, right? And what does a widow mean? So her husband passed away. Her husband passed away, right? And in this culture, widows and orphans are the most um, hard, they've got a hard life in the society because men work, men provide, right? It's a patriarchal society. And so if you're a widow, it's stress, right? It's long. So this is why you see maybe Bathsheba when Uriah died, is happy to go marry David because who else is going to look after her? You know what I'm saying? And so, um, this woman is struggling. Yeah? And however, she's still here. So however long the the famine has gone on, she's still there. She's there and her son is still there, which means God somehow has been keeping her all this time. Right, and somehow her relationship with God is to the point which she can trust that God is going to keep her. However, we're right now at the end of the line, so as much as God has kept her, we're right to the wire now. And it's about are you going to trust it or are you not? And again, somehow through this woman's past experiences of God keeping her, when Elijah comes and says, Give me your last food, and not just you're going to die, you and your son are going to die. And she's like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to give you my last bit of food. This is it. We start from here on out. And so, like, the faith that this takes is powerful, but also speaks to the relationship that she's been building throughout, again, throughout through the past years with her son. Because she's had the only God to rely on up to this point. It's crazy with what you just said there because it, it turns into almost like a, um, a, a type of Christ almost, um, I'm hearing. This idea that this, uh, you know, you just said something there, Reese. It wasn't just her, it was her son. And I think that it's one thing, you know, some of us might feel, you know, I'm not going to say proud, but like 
like you're doing something good when you deny yourself and you do something to somebody else. But when we have people too, when we've got dependents, when we've got little ones, when you've got, you know, babies and, and, and like even guests and people that are dependent on you, then all of a sudden you've got other people to consider. You can't behave as almost recklessly, we'd call it, as you would before because, you know, you've got someone else to look out for. It's one thing for your faith to be enough for you. It's another thing for your faith to cover somebody else. Mm-hmm. And this woman, the same way like God gave us Jesus and had faith that, you know, he'd make it through, is, is the same way that this woman now put her son on the mercy of someone else, of something else of God. Amazing. Okay. Um, listening to me, verse uh, 17 to verse 24. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and her sickness was so sore there was no breath left in him. And he said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Verse 19. And he said to her, Give me your son. And so he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him in his own bed. Then he, he cried out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I, I, I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O oh Lord, my God, I pray thee, let the, this child's life, this child's soul, sorry, come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again and he revived. And, and Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in thy mouth is truth. Cool. All right. So I'm break down. Where, 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 where are we at? What just happened? It was one thing for the son to get sick. You know, why should they be spared from all type of ailments and everything like that? But it's, 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 it's one thing for someone to have a cold. And if I make it like 
to our society now. It's another thing for them to get diagnosed with COVID. And then even people that do get COVID, it's, a, it's the next thing for them to actually have long-term effects and impacts. And for us to see the same brother that was running around and doing this, and then they're not the same now. And all of a sudden to see something go on for longer term. And whereas it was like a couple of days and you expected them to be better, now it's been months and they're not doing better. And I don't know how protracted this was, but considering the fact that um, someone mentioned before that God's been providing for this woman all before Elijah has come, and that's potentially been an opportunity for her faith to grow. This must have been nothing but like the most, hard, the hardest like challenge to go through to kind of, whether it was gradually or quickly, to see this decline in her son. Because all the things that like inform that faith in the first place are now being tested, isn't it? Sure. I mean, what's what's even um, more is that um, the this woman is a widow, right? Which means she's already lost her husband, and now you can imagine Elijah is there with her, and her son is sick, and you're thinking, Elijah, well, you know, see, is my son sick? Could you uh, <laughs> could you speak to God and yeah, make him well? And nothing happens. Right. And so he continues to get sick. Um, and we don't know how fast the sickness comes out, but it seems like it's pretty quickly. And soon there's no breath in him, which is suggesting that he's dead. Right. And you've gone through this pain before. God, I prayed that my husband wouldn't die and now he's dead. What am I supposed to do? And now you put your prophet here and now my son's dead. And you can, like, this woman's going through a hard time. This is not easy to, hold, to, 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 to handle. Yet, somehow, she has enough faith, even though she's struggling. She's like, is it my sin that's done this? Like, what have I done to, to, to struggle so much with this, right? And she has enough faith to allow um, Elijah to take her son and, and revive him. And I think it's... it's this woman is a hero. One thing that I, I think of as well, uh, looking at this, bro, is um, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I've always found it a little bit weird in the Bible when it says that, um, like Elijah, kind of he takes a boy, like you know, up and he lays him on the, the bedroom and he's there praying before God. And he's like, Lord, 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 yeah. He says, and the thing is, Elijah, it's not just the woman that's kind of almost like blaming God and saying, Lord, why, Lord, why, Lord, why? It's Elijah himself. God, I've been staying with this woman. He show, she's shown me nothing but kindness. You've seen the way her faith has been growing. You've seen the relationship that we've been able to develop. And now out of nowhere, little Johnny that's been living here and, you know, that, you know, I've also learned to build a relationship with. I feel like, um, you know, these people would have got to know Elijah as the man. And I don't know what that would have looked like. In, in my mind, he's always been like a stern prophet that's so upright and staunch. And I'm not saying that he's not all of those things, but, you know, they would have lived with him. I can imagine jokes around the dinner table. I can imagine some kind of relationship being bought. And it, it just, there's an image in my mind of, it says, um, 
verse 21, he laid himself upon the child three times. Yeah, I can imagine him just like, you know, like hugging the boy like his own son, you know, like holding him close, kind of offering him up like, Lord, in his arms, like this is the child. Yeah, come and do something. And I think it actually says something about the kind of, not the man that Elijah is as much as the love that God has. Because if you skip forward to verse 24, she says, now by this, by this, my son being dead and he's now alive, by this returning somebody to me that I really care about, by this seeing my pain and not just leaving me in my pain, but bringing life again where, techni- you know, you didn't do this for my husband, why is it now? But instead of her turning around and saying, why is my son alive and my husband couldn't have been alive? Lord, why, why is there ever death at all? She turns around and says, now by this, I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. And in my mind, the, this that she's talking about is the fact that God loves, not just Elijah loves, because it's not Elijah doing this by himself, but that God through Elijah loved the child and loved the family enough to actually, to, to be in that pain with them and to actually bring a solution out of it. I think part of um, what God does is brings um, us right to the edge of where we're capable of holding on. Um, And he, he allows things to happen so that our faith can be tested and strengthened. God could have quite easily not allowed the child to get sick. You know what? The food thing was enough. I'm good. But no, he wanted this experience, her experience to deepen, Elijah's experience to deepen, because he knows what Elijah's about to go through. And so, and even what this woman's about to go through for the rest of her life being a widow with a child. And so it's like, you know what, the food was great, but they need, they need to, they need to get with me a little bit deeper. And so he allows the child to get sick, not only to get sick, but die just so that their relationship with him can get that much more solid, so that Elijah can now go on to do what we're about to read about, and so that the woman can continue living her life in faith. And she has this testimony now. She is never gonna let go because she's got this testimony. So it's amazing how God works when we think, why, why have you done this? Why have you got this? But he's got, he knows, he knows what he's doing. We just need to trust as much as possible. So um, on to chapter 18, unless there are any other points on that. No, okay. Um, chapter 18, verse one. I love this story. I think it's hilarious. But uh, from, from verse one to verse 16. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, 
For it was so, when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land unto all fountains of water and unto all brooks, peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and fell on his face, and said, Art thou that, art thou that my lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am, go tell thy lord. Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned, that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab and slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom, whether my Lord have not sent to seek thee. And when they said, He is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and the nation that they found not that they found me not. Now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from you, that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a, to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. For I, your servant, I feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord? How I hid an hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now thou sayest, go, tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me, slay me. And Elijah said, as the, Lord of the, as, as the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, I will surely shoot myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Cool. All right. So what just happened? Has this happened before, do you think? <laughs> Possibly. Where, like, Elijah's been like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm going to meet the king. And then people have showed up and Elijah's not there and then just leaves him in trouble. <laughs> or do you think that maybe Obadiah is like, the, I think he's um, the the master of, of, what did you say? The governor of um, Ahab's house. Do you think he's maybe seen the response that Ahab has? If we remember David and how um Saul became with him that if anybody had so much as lied and said our oh, David is here and he's not here then Saul was mad yeah yeah it, like one of those situations where Obadiah is seeing Ahab like that he's seeing people get whipped for for saying that they think they saw a man that looked like Elijah and then it's not Elijah and Ahab said you know what throw them in the lion den or something like that 
And he's like, you know, I don't want none of that. Man is almost like, what did I do to you? He's like, hey, Elijah, hey, 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 how you doing? Yeah, and I'm just like, yeah, go tell Ahab up here. He's like, what did I do to you? Like, did I, what, was my hello not nice enough? Like, as soon as I go tell him, you're going to run up. The spirit, it says the spirit of the Lord is going to carry you off somewhere. <laughs> and I'm going to be standing here with my, with my, uh, oh, oh, with my hands, like, empty. Like, where's Elijah? Oh, well, I thought he was here. And Ahab's going to kill me. I just like look, just just look. I'm not going anywhere. Just tell Ahab I'm here, and we're gonna get this party started. And so we uh, we hit verse seventeen. I just find that totally funny. I also find it funny how there's so much real estate in the Bible, given there's sixteen verses to this story, um, just in terms of how Elijah um, avails himself to Obadiah. Obadiah's like, look, I've been I've been hiding prophets for you all this time, and now you just want to come and kill me. What did I do? Um, and I just had to calm down. But it does make you think that maybe this situation happens often where someone is, oh, either it was Elijah himself or someone else is calling himself Elijah and then they just disappear. And um, Ahab's been drug here, there and everywhere. But anyway, verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that travelleth Israel? And he answered, I have not travelled Israel, but thou and my father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Cool. There's a little element quote here. Let me just read it. It says, Elijah makes no attempt to excuse himself or to flatter the king. Nor does he seek to evade the king's wrath by the good news of the drought is almost over. He has no apology to offer. Indignant and jealous for the honour of God, he casts back the imputation of Ahab, fearlessly declaring to the king that, um, that it is his sins and his sins of his fathers that have brought upon Israel this terrible calamity. And so what's crazy, right, is God tells Elijah, right, that um, that the that he's gonna send rain upon the earth again, right? He says we see that in verse um, one of chapter eighteen. So Elijah has this message to give Ahab already, but when he meets Ahab, he doesn't tell him. <laughs> he doesn't say, "Don't worry, the rain is coming back. Don't kill me." He says, "It's your fault that the rain's not here." And so there's no there's no apology. There's no oh sorry, it's, it's, it must have been a hard three years. How's it been going? None of that is. This is your fault. Fix up. And and he doesn't tell him about the drought's about to be over. Not yet, anyway. Okay, yeah. Let's carry on. Verse um, nineteen. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. So how many prophets is that there? there? 850. 850 prophets. I've read it like that before. 
If this was a Samson story, then this would be him with his donkey's jawbone against 850 men. Yeah. And we're about to see. It's not too far off that. Right? But yeah, 850 profits. Yeah, I guess you won, Elijah. Yeah? Okay, let's continue. Verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. What's mad, right, is that um, the people of Israel, right, I don't believe that in that, in, in that crowd, he, um, Elijah was the only man who who um, who believed in God. So there were believers within that crowd in Israel for sure, right? However, no one spoke. Everyone was silent. When Elijah said, "Yeah, who, where are the Christians at?" Everyone looked the other way. Him one. If we haven't been cultivating this relationship, when hard times come like this and people go test your faith, you're not gonna you're not gonna say you're not gonna um, say yeah yeah I'm 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 a Christian. That was actually you know it's interesting. Last night right we were out in um we were out doing the the homeless um project and. We, we 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 met a guy called Robbie, and he had Tourette's, um, and he asked us, um, well, the, the, he asked us where we're from. Now, in my head, I thought he meant like, what part of like England are we from, or like where like where did we come from? So I was like, oh, yeah, we're from Northampton. And he was like, oh, no, no, like, where are you from? And then so we were like, oh, I think you mean, like, are we from a church? So we were like, yeah, we're a church. And then he came out a bit out, because there was a kind of a group of them, and he came out and we were talking with him. It was like, oh, what church are you from? And we all were kind of stuttering over saying Adventist, the Seventh-day Adventist church. Not to say that um, we were necessarily saying um, that we didn't want to come from the Adventist church or we're, we're, we felt bad about it. But it didn't see, I guess for me, it was like, I'm not sure if he's going to know what that is. So I don't want him to hear that and think, oh, I'm a bit confused. I would just understand that we're Christian, right? Um, so we said Adventist Church and he, was, he didn't really know what it was and he thought it was Pentecostal and some of the things. But it just, just how it wasn't, it wasn't bold when, when he asked, oh, what church are you from? None of us were like, the Assembly Adventist Church, it was all a bit more meek than that. And I just wonder when we are out and about and we're talking to people about our faith and um, we are kind of wanting to share or even if they're, they're gunning us or whatever it is, are we bold about it? It doesn't seem like Elijah was really that scared in this situation right now. Elijah's ready to go. Elijah's like, he didn't. He's not given any excuses. He's not um, hiding behind it. He said, "This is what this is what I'm about, and this is where I'm from." We we should have that same attitude. 
So yeah, let's continue. Verse 22. Or oh, verse 23, sorry. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under and call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. When all the people say that it's well spoken, what do you think they're saying? It makes sense. Logical yeah. plan. This is, this is a good plan. Good plan, right? Uh, what do, uh, the fact that they're saying it's a good plan, what does that mean? They think they can get away with it. Yeah, in fact, I feel like they're a bit on the edge. You know what I mean? Like, I said about this, I'm like, I know God is the real God, but I'm not really sure. You know what I mean? Look, you know what? Let's just throw down the gauntlet. Like, let's see. Let's see what's going on. So fair enough. If Bell's true, let's let's run it. And if God's true, let's run it. So no, I don't feel like anybody is really, other than Elijah, is too tough on this at the moment. They're all a bit on edge. Yeah. Verse 25. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock, which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning. We don't know what time the shift started, but from morning, even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass that noon that Elijah mocked them, and said, cry aloud, for he is their God. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or pre-adventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud, and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances, till the blood gushed out upon them. What's mad about what Elijah's doing right there? Man's just chilling. He's not, he hasn't even attempted. They've been going off for however long they've been going on for. And he's not even done a thing. He hasn't even asked God to do it. He's, at this point, he's mocking it. He's like, you know, come on then. There's all of you, man, here. You know, shout louder. And it sort of infuriates them even more. And he, and he keeps mentioning, oh, there's many of you in there. Surely you must be right. There's, there's a lot of you. He's, he's mentioned it a few times now. He's always trying to will them on so they can see their own foolishness. For sure. What's, what's, what I, I, I keep on coming back to is the fact that he's mocking them, right? But it's not like Elijah went first. So it's not like Elijah did it and now he's mocking them because Baal can't do it. Elijah hasn't done nothing yet, and yet he's still mocking them. This is how confident he is. Right? <laughs> this is how confident... It's like you... Um, it's like you're playing a game, right? Let's say you're playing football, and you see someone's not doing 
not doing their job in the game properly and you're and you're making fun of them. Yet you haven't touched the ball yet. That's how confident you are in your game that you're not gonna do what they did. Like Elijah is like he's like, call louder. Maybe you're maybe you're gonna sleep in. Maybe he's on a journey somewhere. You need to like call him back. Maybe he's working. Like he's this confident that God is about to come through. He has never seen God pull fire down from heaven before. And yet he is confident that this is about to happen. Let's continue. Verse um, 29. And it came to pass, the midday was past, and they prophesied unto the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. You know what's even mad about this, right? What time of day is it? Right now. Like in the story. Not like right now, but like in the story. Evening time. It's the evening, right? What Logically, what do you think the best time of the day to get this done was? Morning. Morning or at least noon, right? When the, when the sun is in the sky, you think the fire is going to come from the sun. You think, right, hottest time of the day. This is when it's most likely to happen. He gives these false prophets all day to do their business and nothing happens. And now it's evening. You can almost imagine it's sunset. So where's the fire coming from? Because the sun is setting. Right? And so you're thinking, wow, bro, I like the you kind of, you, you left it, you said, if, it, if this was a hard task before, you you made it even harder, right? And he's going to make it even harder right now. So, okay, let's get to you. Verse, um, verse 31. There was something in the previous verses as well that said that, you know, they sell their groves and they worship the sun, moon and stars and that kind of thing. Yes. So there was quite a lot of regard for the sun as well. So they would have known about the power. They would have probably thought exactly what you just said about that being where the, the fire was coming from. Exactly. That's 31. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the about what? And made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels of water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came there and said, 
Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. What's mad right now, right, is Elijah has made it, so even if you brought fire, even if you got fire and brought it to the sacrifice, it wouldn't be able to burn. That's what the sacrifice is looking like now. There's too much wet, wet, wet wood doesn't burn, right? So there's, there's not only it's wet, it's, there's water in the trench underneath, all of it. There's, it's just not, it's not going to happen. It would take a lot of fire for this thing to, to happen. If you, so, so no human hands is about to do this. That's how Elijah has prepared it. So not only has he teased them about what they were doing, he's also made it humanly impossible for this to work. It's the wrong part of the day. He's wet up the thing. It just doesn't seem like, like this is going to be possible at this point. Yeah? All right, I can see you. Verse 37. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God, and the Lord, he is God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, and let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon, and they and slew them there. All right, so all the prophets of Baal are now dead. Yeah, so... What's amazing, right, before I ask my question, the fire came down, right? It says, not only was the sacrifice but um, consumed, right? The wood got consumed as well. The stone that the wood was on got consumed. And I like this thing. It says, it licked up the water. What, is, what, what, what do you imagine when some surfaces, the water got licked up? I actually laughed. It's like... You, you, <laughs> It's a Jamaican thing, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's all. It's like it just. It's like it just got. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't even know how to describe it other than to say it got licked up. You know what I mean? Like it was like in a matter of an instant, the fridge went and it was just gone. By no human hands could this have happened. So my question is. Elijah is here, and it's almost like this is the culmination of his journey to this point. How do we get to this point where we could be this confident in what God is trying to do? Because this isn't just stand up for your faith. 
this isn't just are you Adventist, are you Christian, are you gonna are you gonna break the Sabbath? Like, um, this isn't just that. This is now. This is different. So, how do we get to this level of confidence in God? Um, when I hear, uh, I, I wouldn't really presume to say that I know the answer to that question. But one thing that I think comes across is like implied by Elijah's prayer is I feel like you could almost paraphrase and say that Elijah put his head down and he prayed and he said, Lord, let them see you like I see you. And so there's something very personal and not showy about the, the relationship that he has and the power that comes from that. It's definitely something that Elijah has tasted and seen in his own with his own eyes. For sure. You know what's, um, what's amazing about that? What's come to mind is um, is the uh, the story of um, of the ten virgins. And I'll tell you what that's come to mind. Um, firstly, because someone someone told me about it this week, but that's so that's why it's fresh in my mind. But this is why it applies. And linking on to Reuben's point. You can only witness if you have something to witness about. Elijah had gone through telling Ahab that it wasn't going to rain and it hadn't rained for three years. He got fed by birds for however many um, however long he was at the brook being fed by birds. He then was fed by a widow with an unlimited supply of oil and flour that never ran out, even though they're on their last bit when he got there. He then rose her son from the dead. And so Elijah has gone through his life up to this point, at least from what we, we know of his life and what we've read, and we can see he's had experience after experience after experience with God after spending time with him. And so he knows God. So when he prays this prayer, and as Reuben said, he says, help them see you like I see you. It's like, I've had an experience with you. And, I, and the only way these people are going to be able to stay strong based on the current scenario where we're at is if they have a similar experience that I have with you. However, I cannot give them my experience. This is why I'm, this is why I'm linking it to the 10 versions. Elijah can't say, here you go, here's my oil. And, and hand it out to each of the Israelites that are there and be like, there you go, go in peace, there's my oil. They all have to then see that and take it on for themselves. And so this idea of experience, this idea of spending time with God, this idea of relationship, which is ongoing relationship, relationship, relationship with God, relationship with God. It's like, if you go deep enough into any story, this is where it leads, because this is the whole truth. Building that relationship with God is how you end up doing not miraculous things in terms of I'm not I'm not saying we need a relationship with God to call fire down from heaven 
I'm not saying it's impossible, but it may not be necessary. But I'm saying is there's miracles happening now, especially with hearts, that can happen if we have that relationship. But outside of that, be it the thing that we do on a Friday night is just then helping people. It's, it stops at helping people. Okay, we're, we're just we're just giving someone a hot drink. Church becomes nothing more than okay. We're going to read a bit of Bible. We're going to read a bit about the Bible. We'll pray for a minute, and then we'll hear a sermon, and I'll go about my business. Every everything that we do within our Christian Christianity is built on: do are we doing it because of our relationship with God? Is that the thing that drives our actions? Because otherwise, they're hollow. Otherwise, what's the point? a good point I think a lot of the times you do get caught up in routine um, just making sure you know you continue doing it for the right reason ultimately right we see that um, Elijah ended up going through another experience which further <laughs> which wasn't a good experience. All those experiences we kind of gone through have been positive. He then goes to the negative experience, which is something that we've kind of covered before. But it's so easy for us to look at, um, for us to see the, the actions of a Christian and think that it's enough for us to be saved when you end up being frustrated with it because it doesn't seem to be changing anything. Nothing seems to be moving, no progress. How many I said a few months ago, um, all these Bible studies, have we seen growth in our personal life? And ultimately, if you haven't been spending time with God, you would have seen no growth in your personal life based on these Bible studies. And so, Nathan asked me um, a very interesting question yesterday as we were, we were out. He said, do you have a testimony for 2020? And so I'm asking you guys, and I'm not saying you need to answer it, but do you have a testimony for 2020? We're now nearly at the end of the year. It's, um, and if you look back to where you were, the same time last year or the beginning of the year, are you in the same place spiritually? Doing the same stuff? Are you stuck on the same problems? Or have you seen growth? Maz put a, a, a text in, in the chat. Do you want to read it, Maz? Yeah, I'll read verse two as well. Um, one second. So it's Psalms 127, verse 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labour in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, um, the watchman stays awake in vain. Uh, I won't read verse 2. Oh, no, I can read verse 2. It is vain for you to rise up early to set up late to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. 
etc etc Powerful. In fact, I'm going to highlight that. Can I just say that says something there about, you know, like I didn't even catch all of it, but just the end of that last verse. That says something about like the way we view God, isn't it? That sometimes our way of viewing God is I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to say yes whenever asked me to, when anyone asks me to be involved in church because that's my, my way of... Um, almost like proving the piety not necessarily to people but to actually god or god only loves me if i do these things and i've done a lot of sin in this week and things like that so the way i get out of that in my own head is to do things so i'm going to stay awake and i'm gonna um i don't know how i put it in that verse uh drink the bread of sorrows till morning or something like that and yet in the same verse it turns around and says but isn't this the same god that created rest as a good thing isn't it the same God that wants us to be able to relax? And I remember a couple of months ago, um, hearing someone talk about the Sabbath and saying the Sabbath is not about me tapping myself on the back and reflecting on what a good week I've had, or even kind of putting my long lip down and saying what a bad week I've had. <laughs> but about knowing that wherever I am in my life, I can rest in God. And I'm not doing that because I'm bringing a lot to the table, but because he's bringing a lot to the table. And yeah, just the, the last verse that you read there reminded me of that. For sure. Thanks, Maz. That's a really um, hit, hit the nail on the head. Sure. Um, is there any other points before we, we wrap up? In fact, let's read the last... Um, couple of verses um, of that chapter. Just to close off. From verse, the right book, from, um, <clears throat> from verse 41. Um, then Elijah said to Ahab go eat up and drink for there is the sound of abundance of rain so Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees And he said to the servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, go up and say unto Ahab, prepare thyself a chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, his loins, and ran up before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Was there any um, 
closing points before we before we pray and close. No. Mm-hmm. Um, Maz, do you want to pray for us to close, please? Yeah, that's cool. Let's pray, guys. Holy Father, thank you for this really good study that we've had today. Um, I thank you for the information that you have passed on to us. Um, and most importantly, I thank you for the, the lesson that we've learned in the importance of being close to you, Lord, and that there's no point doing anything unless we're doing it with you and unless we're doing it for you. So I pray for each and every one of us, not just today, but in the future, um, that we may continue to grow close to you, that we may continue to depend on you and that our faith may um, grow so that it be an example not only to ourselves, but um, a testimony to others as well. so yeah, I pray these things going forward. I pray that you um, may bless us. I thank you for um, this Sabbath day that we've had. And I pray for um, a good rest of the day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thanks, guys.